Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And, um, bang! We have a weird movie for you on this episode. Yeah, we have our first horror film, folks. Um, it is our first horror film. Yeah, we've had some films that had horror elements like Venom, um, but this is just a straight up horror film. This is the mm-hmm. 2018 film Winchester. Uh, directed by the Spierig brothers. Uh, the Spielberg brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the Spierig bros. And, and can't really do anything with that. Yeah, so they are uh, German-Australian directors. Uh, they had done a few horror films before this. I mean, really, that's all they've done. Um, they did the film day breakers with ethan hawk about vampires kind of at the tail end of the vampire craze of the 2000s uh their last film before winchester was the uh jigsaw film which is the final installation in the saw franchise and they made that in 2017 um so they're they're well known for just doing low budget films and kind of having a hand in a lot of aspects of production that's interesting face value in this day and age honestly in the, in the hollywood system generally if you're a director you don't get as much leeway unless you're like a you know christopher nolan or darren aronofsky um mm-hmm. so the fact that like these just like weird twin brothers who are not krasensteins uh <laughs> <laughs> the Krasensteins of the horror of our song. Yeah, these guys are the Krasensteins of horror. Um, they sleep in a twin bed together, and they direct from a twin bed. And they 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 shoot from the womb as they cuddle together in their in their own womb. <laughs> Get at us, Brian and Ed. I'm sure I'm sure calling us out would do wonders for our podcast. Uh, <laughs> Please, m- yes. uh, membership. Um, so Winchester is about the Winchester Mystery House in California. It is the house that Sarah Winchester, the heiress of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, uh, she built and uh, rebuilt and just was continually building for as long as she lived there, which I think was about 30 years. Um, This film is a fictionalized version of her story. It uh, stars Jason Clark as uh, Dr. Eric Price. Jason Clark, I had seen him before, but he's he, he's like he's in a f- nondescript white guy. Yeah, he, he's like one of those guys. He's he's in a fair number of um, of other horror movies, of other like period piece action movies or whatever. But he this is like his first leading role, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah, um, he's currently in the Pet Cemetery remake. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Winchester, I, it was definitely his, his, lead, his first leading role. So he plays uh, Dr. Eric Price, who was hired by the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in 1906 to assess the uh, mental well-being of Sarah Winchester, played by Helen Mirren. Uh, I don't think I have to tell everybody, you know, uh, her filmography. I think we all know Helen Mirren. Right. Uh, so the house... Uh, is considered one of the most haunted houses uh, in the in the United States. Uh, so this film really plays that up. Uh, Sarah Winchester, it's reported uh, that she thought she was haunted by the victims of uh, Winchester rifles, uh, and that's kind of the plot of this movie. That's why the Winchester Repeating Arms Company Board of Directors uh, hires Eric Price, Dr. Eric Price, uh, to assess her because they think she's crazy. She thinks she's haunted by ghosts. This, this house, as, as Lewis was saying, actually exists, and it does have a pretty, 
pretty creepy history to it. Um, it's it's a great it's a great conceit for a horror movie. It's one of those um, one of those real world like locations that lends itself very well to a number of stories that you could tell, um, both historical and, and completely fictional and, and quasi historical or, or, or whatever. Um, I was actually a little surprised that this is like the first time, as far as I know, that that there was any kind of movie made about the subject. Um, especially given like how, how horror trends are kind of so cyclical. I, I would have expected like some enterprising director or producer or whatever to jump all over this, this material earlier. But I mean, here we are, we get this uh, Netflix grade um, adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a little too harsh. It's well, I mean, we'll get into it, but there are some rough parts to, to work through some, there are some, there are some rooms in the structure of this film that, uh, are not as opulent as as the main attractions. Wow, big uh, big architecture words there, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, well, um, to comment on why this film hadn't been uh, made or or a version of this film about the Winchester Mystery House, uh, so it's my understanding that Hammer Films, which is a, a, a British uh, horror studio, bought the rights a fairly long time ago. Oh, okay. Um, but was just never able to make the film. I also read that in 2009, um, this just small independent crew of guerrilla filmmakers uh, got into uh, the tourist attraction, the actual house, and they yep. like they just shot a little bit and put something together. Um, guerrilla filmmaking, hell yeah. Yeah, so that seems cool. I'm going to try and check that out. But yeah, yeah that's, that's really it. I, I think just Hammer sat on it for a really long time and then um, I think they sold the rights to whoever made this movie. What they should have done is um, they should have turned this location into like the Avengers Tower um, of their shared monster universe. Oh, hell like they yeah. Have, like Hammer has like, Hammer did those like uh, Frankenstein versus... Um, um, did, they did Dracula Frank- stuff yeah. like the, um, the Christopher Lee Dracula is, is Hammer Films, I believe. Okay, okay. I, was, I was thinking of... Um, like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, the Mummy, and stuff like that. Oh, so that's Universal, right? Okay. That's American, so, yeah. yeah. We'll probably cut this, but <laughs> that's what I was nope, say. we're keeping your ignorance in <laughs> our right. podcast. Like classic cinema ignorance, yeah. Um, keeping my didacticism, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, you you did uh, dig up this uh, review from Peter Hartlob of the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, Hartlob writes. Like the spirits in the senseless corridors of Sarah Winchester's never-ending Victorian construction project, the movie is stuck in its own limbo. It's not an atrocious film. Far worse productions have been screened in advance for critics. This movie wasn't, ominously. It just can't pick a side. Does it want to be a haunted house full of jump scares? Does it want to be a gothic horror piece with a romantic message? Winchester is both and neither. Um, yeah, that's... I kind of agree with everything written. <laughs> it's certainly not atrocious, but... Um, it does meander about a lot like it's like it's subject. Yeah. And so um, as Peter Hartlob mentions there, and then he, he mentions later in the rest of this review, um, tone is a, is a problem. A lot of people had uh, with this film as, as I was reading reviews. So uh, Peter Hartlob continues, Winchester stars Helen Mirren, which normally would be the first thing we'd mention, but frankly, she's not making much of an effort. She acts as if she knows she's in a bad film and doesn't want to call attention to herself. Someone with a little less to lose, Deborah Winger, Elizabeth Perkins, Nicolas Cage, 
might have taken the role over the top, injecting some much-needed intentional humor. The lack of fun is a big issue throughout the film. Winchester was directed by the stylish Beerig twins, Peter and Michael, who made the scrappy Ethan Hawke vampire film Daybreakers in 2010. They have a history of having a hand in everything, working on visual effects and the musical score, and yet they can't settle on a tone. Even the scares, too infrequent for this type of film, have a consistent misdirection that becomes tired and predictable. The ending tries to be thoughtful, but there's not enough investment in these characters to care. I um I disagree with him on, on Helen Mirren. I thought she was really good in this movie. And I, I get the tone critique. Um I mean way back in episode one, one of the one of the incorrect things that legions of film critics uh, got wrong was that uh, the tone of Venom. Yep. That that was that was the main criticism line of criticism against Venom, but Venom was amazing. Um and <laughs> And yeah, I, I agree with the second half. Um, the tone is kind of an issue here. And especially with horror, tone is one of those things that you really have to get right, I think, more more so than other genre, uh, types of genre. Yeah, you know, I, the problem with the tone that I, I think um, for, for modern horror fans especially is that... Um, you know, it is a more dialogue-heavy horror film uh, in, in, in that sense... Um, it's something maybe we're not as used to, but at the same time, it doesn't supplement that or complement that with anything, honestly. Yeah. Like, it tries to do all the scares via jump scare. It doesn't have a menacing, um, overarching tone, you know, like the scenes between expository scenes aren't all that menacing. Um, the scenes that are that try to be menacing, um, especially with the spirits and the possession, I mean, they kind of fall flat. Um, some of them are just kind of fucking funny, honestly. <laughs> some of them are, especially with our fail son for this episode. They're yes, kinda, especially our, our with Henry. Moppet fail son. Our... <laughs> um, to, to make a completely ridiculous comparison, um, I think of something like The Shining, which is one of my favorite horror movies um, in the way that the sense of place and the setting and the building itself is so incredibly central to every part of that movie. Um you, you would think they would do the same here, but like when the whole draw is like this really bizarre house that actually exists in real life. And, um, and that's the whole reason you're making this fucking movie. Um, but it, the sense of place is never really established and a good setting can go a long way towards like carrying tone. And, and they just completely flubbed it. Um, when it comes to the actual, like arguably like the main reason that this movie exists. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I had watched trailers and when I had read more positive reviews, they had spoke highly of the setting, of the sets and such. Now, I think there are some decent sets in this, but um, I, I think because the film has a budget of $3.5 million, um, yeah. they didn't have a lot to work with. Probably half of that went to Helen Mirren, uh, hopefully. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she, like we said, does a great job with what mm -hmm. she's given. Um, and they were not uh, allowed to film inside the actual mystery house. Um, yeah, that's... Partially, I heard, because of that guerrilla filmmaking crew, they kind of shut down mm. any kind of like photography in the house after that in 2009. Okay. Uh, plus, it's apparently a really cramped interior. So yeah. my thought is like, fuck it, cameras are small. But I mean, I guess if you're making a Hollywood film, lighting really matters. So that stuff hasn't really gotten much smaller um, over time. So I get it. Um, they recreated a lot of the interior shots um, 
on sound stages in um, Australia is where they shot the majority of this film. And I mean, a lot of the a lot of the sets are are really good. Um, I I liked a lot of them, and I'm certainly not against making do with what you can, especially if you can't shoot on location for whatever reason, um, because some Antifa filmmakers came in and made your fun. Um, it's just it never felt. Like, like the whole idea again is like this this big labyrinthian sprawling mansion and it's filled with ghosts that's like such an awesome concept for the setting of a horror movie um and we get what sets of like seven rooms and a few hallways if that um again i'm, I'm i understand that with their with their limited budget they they made do with what they could um but I don't know, just like get get another actress besides Helen Mirren and just like embrace the, <laughs> embrace the B movie like sensibility of it. Just go hog wild on the set. Yeah, I I was surprised um, by how yeah lackluster, um, even with what they what they had, um, mm. just the the production was it. Even just like I don't know, you can do a lot with uh, cinematography uh, given you know a limited budget, given a limited. Um, you know, actual physical space you're working with. Um, and it was never like, there were really very few shots I thought were interesting. Um, like no lighting choices were all that interesting. Um, CGI was dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's this amazing establishing shot of the home itself. Um, they use it maybe in two different, uh, instances and uh yeah it's it's awful it's the it's just really garish cgi really just so fucking obvious it's it's hard to make like a house look good in cgi especially yeah. if you have only 3.5 million dollars for your whole movie um, it, it looks like something from the sims it's like a, it's like <laughs> it's like you typed in rosebud and did the cheat to get like infinite money and you just went crazy and you tile set in the sims <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and it's interesting too because uh, they did they they were able to shoot exterior shots with drones. Um, there are a few drone yeah. shots of the of the roof, and it looks um, like B B roll. It's it's, it's yeah, not that it's, great. It's really just B roll. They don't they don't and they use it like the same shot two or three times. Um, that's something that's recurring in this film mm-hmm. using the same yep. shot two or three times. Um, yep. Which again, usually I have nothing against that, but here it was just like so obvious. If you're if you're doing it for a for an artistic purpose, that can be good. And or, or if you're doing it, if if there's some kind of reason that you're using the same shot over and over, like that that's good. But it was just laziness here, and especially if you have the drone already up there. Like I get that they won't let you inside the house to shoot, but if you go on site and you have the drone go crazy get like different angles like you can get a <laughs> right. lot of different angles from the sky like it doesn't have to be the same dull tracking shot from front to back of the building yeah it was it was just a really boring eagle eye view um mm. of maybe like just uh a few sections of the roof that was it <laughs> i was like you went there to the house and you couldn't get like an establishing exterior shot like from yep. ground level like what was it not allowed like has it changed a lot i don't like it's just I, I, I imagine the house is a filmable you know like it looks nice it looks aesthetically aesthetically pleasing if you shoot it right i don't know i don't know um i'm not a spirit brother so i would i can't i can't judge <laughs> no um 
Actually, that can be our term for this episode, um, uh, kind of a trend that's been developing for the past few episodes. What is B-roll? Oh, yeah. So um, B-roll is usually footage that you use. Um, it's more of a term, actually, in like um, in like broadcast, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's applicable to film, especially with shots like this. Um, so B-roll, when it, in terms of broadcast, it's like um, if you're doing a story about somewhere in New York City, you get B-roll, which is just like stock footage um, that you can use later of like crowds in New York or landmarks. Um, usually there's a voiceover because it's, you know, it's broadcast um, TV journalism. Um, but in, in film as well, it's really just like, placeholder images, um, transitional images sometimes. Doesn't it also imply that it's not necessarily free use footage, but it's it's footage you can get on the cheap of any subject, of, of any like commonly filmed subject? Yeah, for sure, especially with broadcast journalism. I mean, you're not always going to be able to film it yourself. And if you're, if you're doing a story on somewhere as popular as New York City, then yeah, there's like you know, millions of hours of B-roll out there. Um, but I think it's applicable in terms of this film with the with the drone shot. I mean, it was really, there was no, like you said, there was no, like, thematic r- reason to just use that shot over and over again. It was yeah. like, we have to just, we just have to transition from one scene to the next. Exactly. Uh, and this is what we were And we brought use. the damn drone all the way to California, <laughs> so we might as well use it. <laughs> Yeah, there were drone operators somewhere in the credits. I think there were like three or four drone, drone operators. Hell yeah, that, so. that was that was the Spielberg brothers, uh, like Fortnite addicted Zoomer nephew. Like, he's <laughs> <laughs> like a it's like a Logan Paul addict in his inspiring school shoot in his an inspiring school shooter with the Winchester gun. <laughs> That's yes. why. Yeah, he does. Bring He does his drone. Yeah. shooting all the all the good stuff folks we are we are hip with what the young kids do <laughs> drones in Fortnite. <laughs> um but anyway one, one of the legitimately cool aspects of this movie is that uh, it costs uh only three and a half million dollars to make um we here at procon are very strong proponents of uh budget cinema um having having engaged in that uh, ourselves um and it made forty one point three million. So like, yeah, good on them. Yeah, it's actually a box office smash, and uh, y'all can fuck yourselves. <laughs> yes. Anyone who anyone who dislikes this movie is uh, anti worker. Yep, including us. I guess we're mm. anti worker now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're the petite bourgeoisie of film criticism. <laughs> the the petite bourgeoisie contrarians. Um. I did like like I was saying earlier. It is a legitimately cool uh, setting and um, idea for a movie. Um, the idea of like this familial familial curse that uh, Sarah Winchester married into and kind of inherited, and then um, she she bears the brunt of it after her her father in law and her husband die, um, and then she's haunted by the ghosts of these weapons that she she's in charge of making. Um, it, it, it's very rich, fertile material for uh, a ghost story, like a classic, like late 1800s, early 1900s Americana myth, mythic ghost story. All the elements are there. Um, so e- even though they didn't really come together in a lot, in most of the movie, um, 
I appreciated like the ground that it was treading on. Yeah, for sure. I I appreciated the conceit of this film, and it was really the reason I was interested in watching it um, to begin with. I actually was thinking about seeing it in theaters. Uh, hey. th- thankfully, I didn't pay for it uh, <laughs> this time around. But it did fine without you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It didn't need didn't need my twelve to thirteen dollars. Um, but yeah, so the um. The Winchester Repeating Arms Company in this film uh, is 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 represented by both Sarah Winchester and the board of directors. There's like this one snivelly kind of yeah. guy who hires um, Dr. Eric Price uh, for the mental ass- uh, assessment of Sarah Winchester. Um, so kind of like the the corporate uh, intrigue aspect is is pretty interesting too. Um, it, it's it's implied it's not you know laid out but basically the board of directors wants to uh take over uh sarah winchester's shares in the company she's like a majority shareholder by like 51 percent basically i actually really did like or i was really grateful that they left all of um the slimy businessman's implications just as implications they never they never <clears throat> they never did that they never came out and said in dialogue like dr price we want you to say she's insane so like we can take over the company it was like very heavy-handed kind of like mob intimidation techniques but the, it, it, they didn't actually come out and say it like so kudos for that bit of subtlety that bit of a uh, dialogue subtlety there <laughs> yeah definitely like they check in with the doctor a bunch of times and they want like these, you know, consistent reports about our mental well-being. So yeah, I agree. That was subtle. Um, and that, uh, you know, it's just that, uh, uncaring nature of business, um, you know, taking advantage of this, this woman's like mental illness, like that was the real, the real, uh, spirits and ghosts haunting her, haunting her mind. Yeah. It's business folks. Yeah. Business is bad. Although you might also say that communism is a specter as well, but it's a good, it's a good specter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Dr. Price, he's kind of set up as like, he's in debt or something. They don't, they never really describe it. Um, but he, he needs the money. And and the, the board of directors basically say, name your price. So he, of course, he, price, name your price. So of course he does it. Um, he's kind of, he's like in, an alcoholic and he drinks laudanum a lot um and it's helpfully labeled laudanum poison for for everyone who doesn't know what laudanum is there's also that weird like deer motif deer yeah there's like a deer on the bottle and then like he looks up and he sees like the deer painting it starts dripping blood and then the rifle later has like a deer on it well that's because he's an alcoholic and he's addicted to jägermeister Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the deal. Jaeger bombs, motherfuckers. <laughs> yes. He invents Jaeger bombs, but with laudanum. With laudanum, a, a pint glass of Jaeger, and then a little <laughs> shot glass of laudanum in the. <laughs> don't do. Yeah. Don't try this at home, folks. Yeah, nobody do that. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he his backstory is kind of again cool conceit, but kind of executed really poorly um his wife is dead because she she killed herself with a winchester um and she had also shot him when he did when he was attempting to stop her with the same winchester and and he had passed out or died as they say for like a couple minutes three minutes 
and one of the reasons that he, I mean, I, I guess like you could say like fate drew him to the house, but when the ghost shit starts happening, one of the reasons that he can see ghosts is because he too had been um, shot by a Winchester. So he had some kind of connection there. And like, like I was saying, I think that's, that's very cool. That's, um, that's very neat from a, like a narrative plot perspective. And it's, it's just a cool mythic little plot beat. Um, but it, I don't know, just the whole, the whole thing with, the, with, with his wife's ghost, especially when she comes back and the way that it gets resolved later, which we'll get into, is just very clumsy. It was probably the weakest aspect of this film. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, every time he mentioned his wife or his wife's ghost talked to him, yeah. uh, I just I just wanted to like fast forward it. Yeah. Um, it was... But, you know, actually this film wasn't really that long, which was kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, nice, so... nice, nice, crisp little 90 minute film. Yeah. Kudos to 90 minute films. Yeah. Uh, here, ProCon, more. that is the only correct runtime. Yes. Any, Anything more is bullshit. The only exception are the Lord of the Rings uh, extended editions. Yeah. But the I stipulation is you have to watch all three of them in a row with no breaks. Okay. Yeah. Which I've done. Have you? Yes. I haven't done that. I watched <laughs> them recently, but uh, in in three three viewings. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not as alpha as you. Sorry. You you are a lesser uh, goblin of Moria. Well, I'm a, I'm a mighty Urukai of Isengard. Uh, well, I watched Shoa in one sitting, so fuck yeah. off. But doesn't Shoa have an intermission? Yeah, I had numerous intermissions. Yeah, so concession accepted, motherfucker. <laughs> it was in one. Day. Anyway, back to back to Winchester. So yeah, like he, he Price shows up at the at the mansion, and he um, he meets all the characters. There's Sarah Winchester, obviously. Um, there are a number of uh, workers and in like a butlers some of whom are more prominent than others um there's sarah's there's the sarah's daughter da- i actually have no idea how that person is related to her i don't think they say it do they uh her name is marion Marriott. marion marriott or something like fiction. that and then her kid henry i don't uh, they're like niece he, it's her niece i think i don't know fuck it yeah, doesn't matter it, useless character younger female relative who has a child of her own who is the fail son of this episode henry <laughs> regarding henry <laughs> oh shit the man who shot regarding henry yeah yeah uh with his winchester um if only he, he's our fail son our little moppet fail son for the episode he he's like this pale like twerpy looking little kid who just runs around and it gets possessed by ghosts and shit he's constantly possessed by ghosts by the the spirits that are drawn to the winchester house yeah, he's always like chasing this roller skate. There's like this like plot beat about how the Winchester family yeah. is trying to get out of like, you know, the mass instruments of slaughter business and and they want to get into uh making literally everything else games else. and things. Yeah, but apparently they did go into uh roller skating uh the roller yeah. skate business but like much later doctor understanding dr price was looking at that um that advertisement in the carriage on the way over to the mansion and it's like it, it it looked like they they remade that prop like based on an existing advertisement for winchester products mm-hmm. yeah i just the film takes place in 1906 and i think winchester repeating arms company started making them in like 19 uh, the um the roller skates in like 1920 so okay. but yeah. and who gives a shit like, yeah, what, fucking, what, what is time time doesn't exist what? 
Um, one of the things I liked, especially earlier on in the movie, it kind of broke down towards the end, but um, very cool. Not very cool. It was okay. It was passable in the things they did. Very well cool. With it. Very legal. Yes. <laughs> um, there were some cool gothic, uh, like gothic kind of steampunky, but not too steampunky because steampunk is annoying. But like very, very Bloodborne esque. Uh, I don't know if anyone has played that video game Bloodborne by From Software, but like a lot of the little gadgets that the doctor was carrying, a lot of um, a lot of the details of the house. A lot of the little architectural um, things that would appear in the house, the guns themselves had that kind of look to them, and it felt very, it felt very cool. Um, like I was saying, especially towards the, the middle, the the first half of the movie, but um, everything just kind of becomes more generically horror towards the end. Yeah, there were. Um, I, I appreciated um, some of the the like aesthetic flourishes throughout. Um, and a lot of it is just based on the actual house itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's this, there's some wallpaper in like one of Helen Mirren, Sarah Winchester's like private rooms. It's like this like black and red, you know, Gothic architecture, right. uh, Gothic, um, you know, aesthetic, um, right. like lace pattern sort of, um, you know, that, that had a very, um, like old school horror film, uh, feel to it. I just, I just kept thinking that like the whole house would be a good bloodborne level. Yeah. Fighting yeah. ghosts and shit and like sneaking, ar- sneaking around and getting lost in the maze and everything, but they didn't do much with the set. I mean, no, as, as we've already, as we've already, as we, one. as we keep saying, but I mean, it's, it's right there. Cause like they, they, they approach that point. Like <clears throat> you were telling me earlier when we were discussing this episode, like, um, there's, there's one set, uh, Dr. Price's room where he stays overlooks this kind of courtyard area with, with the bell tower in the middle. Um, in that set, like they actually built that cause a lot of the, a lot of the action, uh, scenes take place there. Um, and that was cool. That was, it looked more like a set than like the few shots of the actual house that we saw, but they, they did a better job with that set than most of the other ones. And, it's it's just, it's it's so frustrating because like it it almost has this really cool uh, thing going for it, but it doesn't quite meet it. Yeah, I was I was frustrated by um, when we first see some establishing interior shots of the house, and then even that exterior um, yeah. like roofline shot that they created. Um, they they're all super interesting. Those shots, those establishing shots. Um, there's the shot where they're walking um dr price and the butler are like walking through the house and he points out like some like ballroom and they make a big deal about that like yeah. the the like the wood used in it but then we never see the ballroom again the dialogue like, that was rough because like the dialogue in that scene was it's like cribbed from wikipedia yeah like, it was like <laughs> like, like half of our, we our research. That we take from these episodes but yeah they don't really show that and I assume that must have been a set because, like, they weren't. They, why did they? Why did they? Build why even that mention it? Cool yeah. Why even build set? it? Yeah. <laughs> and there was that other. Um, it's like a hallway, and it has like bars in the ceiling, and then beyond the bars, there's like this glass like ceiling. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, that, and that's like a really cool. Uh, that's like an actual um, hallway in the in the house because it, it's cool because it's it's almost like like an alleyway in a city, but like covered with glass on the top. And then you yeah. have like bars in, in the middle, in the midsection. And that's like a kick-ass, really creepy visual, but they, 
they built it apparently and they they, <laughs> they film it for like five seconds and that's it yeah i i i appreciated that like hallway atrium yeah. type um setup but re- again we see it once yeah um and then the only establishing shot that they bring back for a, a horror set piece um is that ramp you mean this the staircase that the staircase that ends up in the ceiling no they bring that one back and that was fairly interesting yeah. um the there's ramp. yeah that's the staircase that like oh. it winds a little bit and then it ends at nothing but then there's like a ramp they mention like the yeah. the niece characters like oh um this we built this ramp because it's easier on uh my my aunt's knees or whatever right um which actually i think she did have arthritis so that's that's correct that's factually accurate <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was um that was a really cool staircase like the, like instead of um a very short standard staircase that would go up like i don't know 10 feet it it it's it's kind of like a game it's like a game of snake like it's spread out yeah, i'm making the gesture with my hands to show lewis because we can see through Skype. <laughs> it's imagine a staircase that is a, a spiral staircase that is um arranged in a very weird way that kind of eats turns back in on itself so it spreads out farther so that an elderly person can walk it, walk up it easier um and it's all like packed into like this one room it's, it's a very cool um very cool set that they lifted wholesale from the actual house and it is used for one of the best action scenes in the movie. Yeah. I think the name for that kind of like construction is like switchbacks. Hatchback is um Hatchback is that? No, I think it's switchback. No, I think it's I think it's switchback, yeah. <laughs> it's, hatchback it's just, is like a car. It's a, it's, it's actually called a sedan staircase. Um <laughs> yeah, it, it is it, it is switchback. Um but yeah, the at one time um Phil son Henry is possessed by a ghost for like the second or third time. And he grabs one of the, he grabs a Winchester rifle and he's chasing Sarah and um, she trips and then she falls down and like, she's crawling. She's like crawling. She's switching back on, on her path as she crawls around um, in the walls of the staircase kind of shield her from, from Phil son. And he's shooting through the walls at her and he's like missing, but he's reloading and, it was really tense and one of the better scenes. Yeah. Um, again, you know, it's like there's so much potential mm-hmm. and it's nice to see it not uh, wholly squandered <laughs> in this scene. Like there were, yes. like you said, I think it was tense. It was it was one of the scenes I actually like perked up and I was like, oh, I like what they're doing here. Yeah. Um, and they did really make the best of the space for once. Uh, yeah, there's like these these. I guess railings of the switchback with like paneling and like there's there's one shot I really liked where like he's dragging the barrel of the gun mm. against the, the the corrugated paneling and he's like trying to pick out the spot he's gonna shoot you know and then we we cut to Sarah's perspective and she's like oh no don't shoot me in the face but like I don't know he could have done he was like there was no reason he wouldn't have like just known exactly where she was and shot her in the face he shot like seven times by then and he kept missing her yeah, he he ran out of ammo, of course, and um, and then <clears throat> and then uh, Doctor Price and and his mother come and kind of rescue him and slap the ghost out of him. Um, so we we find out shortly after this that the reason Sarah Winchester 
is building this crazy house is because um, every night she's possessed by the spirits of the victims of, of Winchester rifles. And she does, um, she draws uh, the rooms they were killed in um, or whatever the last room that they remember um, in their earthly form. And she's, while, while she's possessed, she just kind of looks freaky and she, her eyes are rolled back and she's drawing them. She's drawing the rooms and then she gives the drawings to her architect and further describes what else to do. And that's why she has dozens and dozens and dozens of rooms because supposedly all, most of the rooms are uh, facsimiles of uh, the tombs of these uh, spirits. Yeah, another interesting conceit, definitely. Um, and then, so um, what she does is once the room is completed, she kind of like does a seance to bring the spirits forth uh, into the house uh, and uh, for the most part I think they're kind of like uh, either allowed to live there on good terms they're kind of like mm. benign spirits yeah um, or she's able to like exercise them away like through like therapy basically she, she, she like talks to them and then they're like all right see you later I'm good yeah it's, I'll go on to the afterlife it's that part was strange and like it went, it, it, they mention it like they barely mention it and it kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, a good majority of the spirits are fucking pissed at her and, uh, she has to lock them away in the rooms. They, um, they just board all the windows and doors with planks and each plank, uh, has 13 nails to affix it to the door or windowsill. Um, uh, this is urban legend, but yeah, apparently like Sarah Winchester was, uh, was obsessed with the number 13. So that's, that's where they got that idea from. And, you know, just 13 is a, an unlucky number. It has, you know, it's, it's place in, uh, you know, right. Gothic and, uh, you know, stories like this. Um, so there is, there is an antagonist of this film. Um, the first scene of the film is actually little Henry Failson, uh, like getting up and what does he do in this one? He, he always puts a bag on his head and he puts a bag on his head. Um, I mean, because the ghost possessing him died with the bag on his head. Right. But where does he go in the first? Is that when he goes to the the staircase that ends? Yes, that, that's where that's when we're introduced to the staircase that just rises into the ceiling and, and just ends. Right. So that's the beginning of the film. Um, you know, a fairly tense opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it establishes, you know, what um, what it sets out to um, that there's this possession story arc. Um, later, his second possession. Um, Again, he puts the bag on his head and he goes to um, a pretty high spot. I, I don't think it's the bell tower, but he goes to some high window and he's yeah. about to jump and Dr. Price catches him. And then as we mentioned, there's the the, I, the last, the final possession for little, little Henry Felson is is when he takes the gun. Now, um, this rifle is important because it's, it's the rifle of a Confederate soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is possessing Henry? Sergeant Block, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Sergeant Block. Um, he was uh, killed by it's it's. So this is there's again. This is a really interesting conceit, uh, really interesting yep. character that they set up. 
but kind of goes nowhere. Um, the thesis of this film, really. <laughs> this interesting thing goes nowhere. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he's a Confederate soldier who, um, he survived the Confederate, uh, he, the Confederate War. Uh, <laughs> the Civil War. The Confederate War. <laughs> the lost cause of the South. He, he... The War of Southern Aggression, yes. as I like to call it. Yes, nice. Um, there we go. Uh, fuck the confederacy um but yeah. yeah so he he survives the civil war his his three brothers do not they're all uh killed two by union so two brothers whatever numbers 13 brothers whatever four brothers the the marky mark film <laughs> the mark Wahlberg film which is a remake of a western film well uh, damn. yeah might have to that's, watch Four, four Brothers. And... <laughs> yep. Nope. Nah, fuck it. Uh, skip it forever, folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so his brothers are killed. He seeks revenge on the Winchester Repeating Company because um, the, they they posit that the North was well-armed with Winchesters. I guess that's true. I have no idea. I'm not a historian. So he goes to a an, he goes to an office, uh, a Winchester Repeating Arms Company office somewhere in the North, uh, I think Connecticut, and he puts a bag on his head, uh, like he like Henry does mm-hmm. when he possesses Henry, uh, and he starts just shooting random people in this office. Um, some you know like Winchester Repeating Arm Company functionaries, some just like random people because it's like a display office as well. Um, and then he is uh, he's killed by the cops, yeah. um, who also have Winchesters. So. Yeah, uh, a Confederate spree shooter ghost is like uh, the yes. most like on the nose twenty eighteen uh, antagonist. Yes, um, and like the Spirit Brothers could have done so much more with that. I mean, it it definitely tracks as a very appropriate villain for the era. That's for sure. It's just one of those things that's so obviously like like a, like a stock character, like like an evil. Even, even like Confederate, like a Confederate spree shooter as a ghost, I don't want to say it's a stock character, but it's like so obviously what normies have been taught is like bad. I, I'm not surprised that they didn't do much more with it. it is basically that's that was my really long rambling way of saying I'm not surprised that um, we all we got is what we saw on screen. Sure, yeah, I think um, it's it is just some kind of like archetypal archety- archetypical. Archipelago. Arch- Some kind of archipelago Arch- shit. I think it's archetypal. <laughs> archetypal. Yeah, it's just some archetypal shit for sure. Yeah. Um, but like considering where we are in the year 2018, like sure. they, they could have done sure. something with it. Especially especially like the, the idea that like the quote unquote lost cause of the South um, possessing a young boy. Like literally possessing a young boy yeah. and cause and driving him to violence. Um, that's a potent metaphor, but this this movie was not nowhere near <laughs> equipped to no. deal with. My favorite scene, by favorite I mean one of the worst scenes, is when um, Price, uh, the niece, the niece's kid, and Sarah Winchester all sit down for dinner for the first time, and like they start talking about guns. And they're like, oh, yes, a gun uh, does it. They basically say, like, that guns don't kill people. Like, people kill people. (laughs) They kind of do. Um, It's like like the good guy with a gun shit. Like, it's just like like these terrible talking points. They're trying to do some real politicking up in here. (laughs) 
it's it's presented a little differently than that because like Sarah is shown to rebuff um, Price's opinion, like, oh, it's a very efficient tool, it's a very good good machine, it's a very good weapon. And she's like, Yeah, it's used for killing people. But yeah, they that that's like the most fetishistic they get into like the, the mechanism of the guns. Which is a little surprising. I I figure I, I would have figured they would have done that more. Yeah, definitely. Also I was I was wondering, because, you know, like the the ghosts that appear in the house are people what about like deers and shit? Like it'd been cool if like the whole house was full of like deer yeah. ghosts and like badger ghosts and like ghosts of animals. That'd have been fucking dope. <laughs> that would have been really cool. Or like <laughs> Oh my god. Maybe like in the grounds outside the house. That's where the yeah. ghosts are. And, and when he tries to leave, like the ghosts of the animals chase him or something. I don't know. Oh yeah. All right. We'll make this movie. We only need three point five million apparently. So <laughs> So uh get those Patreon dollars coming, guys, as soon as we <laughs> As soon as you get off our asses and put up the put up the Patreon site. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the Confederate spree shooter ghost is the main antagonist, and um, they defeat him by shooting him. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for this movie, suitably enough, they defeat him by shooting him. Yeah. So, uh, as we had previously mentioned, uh, Doctor Eric Price. Uh, was killed himself for a, a short period of time by his wife, accidental discharge of the rifle as she was trying to uh, shoot herself. He pulls it away, and it uh, jerks towards uh, like his chest, shoots him in the chest, he yeah. dies. What he does is, I guess, like they took the lead out of him. Uh, he also got the shell, and then like he remade the bullet. Yep. Uh, and then he... like got an inscription on it do you remember what the inscription oh, like, said it was like i'll love you like forever together forever wasn't that together it? forever some dumb shit yeah, yeah some dumb Jesus shit like that <laughs> yeah and, and like in like really cursive flowery font it was kind of ridiculous yeah and earlier uh helen mirren sarah winchester mentioned something about like mementos and memories and death um and that's all just telegraphing the use of this bullet yeah. uh, to to murder a ghost in a freaking film filled with guns like hanging on walls we have a we have a Chekhov's bullet instead of a Chekhov's gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also for a film that like you know one of the main characters just keeps saying like guns are bad i hate guns and then she's just like you should shoot that motherfucking ghost <laughs> it's like shoot him shoot him please <laughs> yeah because the whole setup to the final boss fight with um with sergeant block's ghost it's like a cool setup because they're in the room at the top of the stairs that they thought was blocked off um it's filled with guns everywhere because all, all the winchesters are hanging around um they have to nail themselves in with 13 nails so that the ghost can't escape either and it's like Sarah Winchester and Eric Price together, like the the two main characters, and like they're facing off against the ghost, and it's this really tense setup. But then um, the ghost gets like telekinesis, and he aims yeah. all of the gun. He like raises his arms and aims all of the guns in the gun room at them, um, just like Magneto from the first X Men, which is which is what I thought of. And then. Um, I don't even know what happens. Like, Doctor Doctor Price hears he can, like become invisible for like a few seconds. Well, Doctor Price hears his wife like his her last words to him like open your eyes just like you 
see like use the force like see what you yeah see what you meant mm-hmm. to see and then he opens his eyes and for some reason he can see the ghost who had it had been established um he can turn invisible at will and he had been invisible up to that point so like i don't know how he he beat that ghost power but he can see him and then he shoots him with the magic bullet and then the ghost dies yeah and that's it ghost is stuck in that room forever i guess or just exercised via bullet i took it as like he went he extra died like <laughs> he died because <laughs> like he's a ghost but then he gets killed so he, he like dies twice uh, yeah died, died two, death. 2.0 yeah who knows yeah that was that was murky again this, for sure. the same problem really great setup really really great potential for a set piece for like a, a final showdown set piece but then they just squander it Mm. Yeah, we should also mention uh, that during this scene, the uh, 1906 San Francisco earthquake happens. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I, you know, I thought that was interesting, an interesting use of a, a real-world yeah. event. But I, I kind of wish it happened earlier in the film. Like, so what happens is um, they're in that gun room uh, where Sergeant Block died that they recreated. Um, the earthquake happens. So it's like, it's harder for them to like, you know, cover the doors and windows and bolt it all down, but also other doors open, other previously sealed doors open. Um, so we see a few other ghosts in this scene. Now throughout, we see some ghosts and jump scares, but this is the first time we see like non jump scare ghosts. Yeah. And they, they corner, um, Felson Henry and his mom in the basement. Um, yeah. Sergeant blocks, uh, uh, brothers do. Yeah. And I, I think the, the point of that scene, I, I, I was initially going to say that like they show like a bunch of ghost cell doors open but then we don't really see the ghosts do anything. Um, but I think the point was to like have them attack Felson Henry. And then his mom, her, her little character growth is that she isn't scared anymore. And she faces down the ghosts and they get defeated when, when Sergeant Block is defeated. But besides those two go like besides blocks, two brothers, we don't really see any other ghosts like that break out during the, during the earthquake. Yeah, we do. We see the native American ghost. Oh Yeah. No, that that happened before. No, that happens when the earthquake happens. No, no, no. The, Dr. Price goes into the uh the green room, the the green room that his Yeah, because he's separated from Sarah because of the earthquake. God damn it, you're right. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sep- what happens is the earthquake happens and then the Confederate ghost block like drags him away and he drags the other like there's the foreman like the the construction foreman mm-hmm. yeah. who like nondescript australian looking dude who just like gets murked there um but right yeah because he gets dragged away first and then like thrown and he dies right right right, right. and then but then dr price gets dragged away but he lives and he encounters a native american ghost uh, he encounters a slave ghost. Yeah, like really stereotypical Kunta Kinte get up slave ghost. It's <laughs> yeah. It was. I was. That's the thing that just like took me out of it. Uh, Nick and I were arguing about this earlier, uh, but I just like put some like just like even some just like 
raggedy looking clothes have been fine, but okay, he's but, like a loincloth and he still has like the shackles. It's like Okay, but here it's he looks like right off the slave boat, which like by that time the slave trade was illegal in the United okay. States. Well actually, um first point of contention <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously just visual shorthand for Sure, yes. Your standard your standard audience member who's not very up on history. But you could say that the reason that this slave was killed is because he had been acting out against the owner, the slave master, and prior to actually being executed, um, had been punished for some time. That's why he was in such rough shape. That's fair. You know, okay. I'll, I'll allow it, I guess. <laughs> well, as the, as the resident Winchester expert here, because you, cause you, uh, you know the plot details like that, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean... And this is something else you had raised that I thought was a good point. Um, the whole idea that like the ghosts of the victims of the Winchester company, that is, that is like a potent metaphor for the sins of capitalism, the sins of, um, of corporatized violence, um, which this film does touch on, of course, in a very apolitical kind of neoliberal wishy-washy manner. But, um, but the, as with everything else, the the material's there. It just takes a different read to put it together. Yeah, definitely. I think there is, um, you know, a more um, there, there is a leftist take of this film. Um, uh, you know, our more charitable read, <laughs> as always. Um, as we mentioned earlier, you know, like there's there's the the corporatism um, and and just kind of the uncaring, you know, inhumane nature of uh, you know corporate America. There's what you just mentioned with the you know um, the the sins of capitalism. You know, these all these um, dead people. Um, but I thought so. I was at first I was kind of bugged by the ending of this film. You know, you shoot a ghost. Uh, everything's fine, you know, Sarah Winchester just gets to live her life, Dr. Price gets his money, and he gets to go on his way, um, but I actually thought that was kind of a, a powerful allegory of, like, just the class divide in America, and how rich people just get away with things, I mean, and they don't actually have to atone for anything, I mean, she she has her own version of atonement, just like rich people get to, like, I don't know, throw money at a problem, and say, okay, cool, you know, like, uh, yeah, I did the opioid epidemic, but, like, I get to throw money around now, and it's all okay. Um, you know, she gets to literally just lock away these ghosts and be like, see, I'm helping you. I gave you a final resting place. Um, but as we sh- were shown, like, they don't generally like it there. <laughs> they don't They don't want to be locked away. Um, so, yeah, she just gets to, like, lock her problems away. Um Within, without like having any of this like materially affect her like she doesn't say at the end of the movie the last line is like uh dr price is like what are you gonna do now and she's like rebuild of course it's not like eh, i'm gonna burn this fucking place to the ground like give away all my fucking money and earthly possessions and like go meet people who have been affected by this gun and like make like actual structural changes it's just like eh, i'm gonna just keep doing this shit and furthermore um within the text of the film and also look, looking at the film as um, as a commentary itself on on the historical trend, um, the wealthy leverage um, the suffering and the lives of of um, of workers and the poor um, almost as like 
accessories in their own self-actualization, in their own narrative. In their own... It, again, it, again, it comes down to narcissism. It's like wealth enables the narcissistic um, tendency to see other people's very lives and other people's uh, hardships as mechanisms through which you can learn about yourself. Um, the, within the text of the film, that that is what Sarah Winchester does. And I guess in history, that is what she did. Um, and then this movie presents that as a valid historical art, artistic read, um, which is kind of fucked. Which <laughs> is kind of fucked up. <laughs> um, I did read that in real life, um, construction of the house continued on a fairly consistent basis, literally right up until she died, whereupon construction immediately ceased. Um, and that is such an amazing metaphor for like the power and the utility of capital in our world. Um, and I think if they had actually ended it, if this movie had been more of a character piece about Sarah Winchester's guilt and how it manifested and what it drove her to do, um, and it ended with her death, and then the immediate cessation of all work on her on her doomed uh, her doomed passion project, like funded by her blood money, that could have been a much creepier, more somber, more um, emotionally mature uh, piece of art. But it wasn't. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we get from the guys who made the Jigsaw movie. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, speaking of the workers that worked in the house, uh, what workers? What workers of note do we have that contributed to this um, celluloid mansion? Yeah. So as we said previously, we like the sets. Yeah. Um, despite even despite the ourselves. sets that weren't. Yeah. <laughs> despite ourselves and despite the sets sometimes. Yeah. Um, but even the sets that weren't the the house itself, like there's um, Doctor Price's house when we first meet him. Um, I actually thought it was like a brothel because when we first are introduced to Dr. Price, uh, he's a cool dude who fucks a lot. Like he yeah. has, he has a uh, foursome. sex workers. Yeah. He has this like foursome, nothing sexual is shown, but like it's heavily implied. It was, it was pillow talk. They were, they were chugging some laundum as usual and you know. Yeah. Their one girl was like dancing in the background. Um, but yeah, so it, like it was a decent set and it was just yeah. like, well, like well constructed and even just like the props you know strewn about like were period accurate and gave you a good sense and feel Mm -hmm. of of like who this character was um and that they they put like actual you know care into that so the set decorator is vanessa cern um there are three set designers uh michael bell doug pierce and liliana sierra and then there's the um, set dresser and buyer, Helen Olone. Um, so, yeah, these people uh, put the sets together, bought stuff, and, you know, organized things in the right order. And, uh, yeah, kudos. Also related to the sets are Andrew Gardner, construction manager, and Max Hames, construction coordinator. And I want to say this last one, but Lewis is the one who found it, so he, he gets the honor. <laughs> Um, okay i'll say it. you can explain it though we were trying to find like workers to to highlight in this film um and i suggested to lewis in addition to sets obviously we should i don't know any historical researchers any any um any people who are knowledge about the period or anything um academics or whatnot and then lewis gets back to me and he goes i couldn't find any uh historical uh researchers or anything but i could find a magic consultant <laughs> <So this laughs> 
So this this is the first Procon Magic Consultant shout out. <laughs> Hopefully not the last. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's this guy named uh, Barry Govin who is the Magic Consultant because there's this there's this one magic trick <laughs> that oh that's that's why it's <laughs> it's this one that's the only magic in it. <laughs> Okay, this guy, this guy is um, the Spear Brothers, the older millennial burnt out nephew, Felson. Their actual, their, their actual Felson nephew, who his only skill is he stays at home and he watches YouTube videos of like pickup artistry and magic. <laughs> yeah, so there's this one magic trick that we see twice in the film. Uh, I'll get it out eventually, I promise. So. <laughs> Dr. Pierce has this magic trick where he like gets a dollar bill and he folds it and he's able to like just balance it um like one end on one finger so that the the length of the bill the majority of the length of the bill is actually kind of floating in the air um and when he shows it to one of the sex workers she's like whoa what's that but then he shows it to Sarah Winchester and she's like you know the one of my butlers would like that dollar bill and also the nickel inside of yes. it. So like there's a nickel that's like in the bill on his finger, so it's like a counterweight. Right. right. Um so, so they needed a magic consultant for that. For this one fucking magic <laughs> He does it twice and that's Yeah, that's that's it. This this one little bit of sleight of hand, so Yep. Good job, Mr. Govin. <laughs> Glad you could do it. Uh, Lewis, who would you recommend Winchester to? Um, so our broke <laughs> recommendation is uh, Contemporary Laudum Addicts. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll ton of them out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're really into Laudum, uh, it's better than most, I guess. I don't know. All right. I don't know how bad it is. They said it's poison in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's opium. Just drink. In drink big it. cartoon letters. Yeah. Uh, our woke recommendation is for our first-person shooter Twitch streamers who are lucky enough to score a Netflix and chill date, um, you know, because guns. Yeah, and our bespoke recommendation is for Western fans willing to consider this film the spiritual successor of the 1950 Jimmy Stewart film Winchester 73, uh, directed by Anthony Mann, who is the better version of John Ford. Whoa, uh, shots, shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew. Uh, but yeah, Winchester 73 is an amazing Western film about uh, a gunslinger played by Jimmy Stewart who is like chasing down this guy who killed his dad um, and he wins a the perfect rifle, um, the perfect specifications, the perfectly constructed uh, Winchester from, 19, from 1873 in a, a shooting contest. Um, and throughout the movie, he loses it. Um, the people who steal it lose it. People die. Um, it's kind of a cursed object in its in and of itself, mm. in a way, um, because everybody who touches it, it's like some tragedy befalls them. Um, so yeah, like we can just imagine that this Winchester makes its way into Sarah Winchester's home. You know what that reminds me of? Um, there was a book called um, Gun, written by Gary Paulson. Uh, it's like a young adult book. Um, but it, it, it's about this incredibly accurate, perfect uh, musket that um, is made during the Revolutionary War. And um, it's passed from owner to owner. Um, 
in tragedy usually befalls the owners um, until it lands in the present day and it kills a kid because of an accidental because of an accidental discharge. Um, basically, the the young adult version of what you just described. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's hundred percent the exact same story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cursed guns, cursed guns representing the violence endemic to America in American colonialism. It's a cool. It's a it's a very potent uh, story subject. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. Well, I think that is all for this week's ProCon. Yeah. Um, here at ProCon, we are uh, actually pro-gun as well. Uh, arm the working class, mm-hmm. uh, disarm the police, and the military. Yeah. Um, arm all sex workers, arm all Muslims, arm all trans comrades, and arm the working poor, and disarm police, and disarm the military. Hell yeah. And... Uh, uh, sue the NRA out of existence with tort law. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, and on that note, see you next week. See you, folks. I don't know if you heard of me, but you heard them shots on the block. It's a murder scene. Go and call the cops. Open heart during surgery. Now it's breathing. Stop. Stupid niggas should have knew we tripping. Now we in the box. Winchesters. Hunted in the box. Smith Wesson. Stuff it to the top. And we